Thank you, Pastor Angel. Good morning. It's good to be in God's house. Amen? It is. It's good to have you here. It's good to be here and to uh, celebrate. Uh, I said this this morning uh, in, in first service, the, the reason we're gathered in this place, I hope, is not just to check off uh, the fact that we are gathered uh, on a Sunday morning as if we think that by doing so, we have done our part of being a follower of Christ. I hope, I hope you have the same desire that I do to gather with God's people for the purpose of worshiping. We are here under the, the banner, the, we, we use the term the banner in an old school way to say that we are here under the banner of the name of Jesus and we have the opportunity to gather in worship. We have the privilege of gathering together in, in worship. Let's not miss out uh, on, the, on the truth of the privilege we have to gather in God's house. I hope you're hungry uh, this morning for more of God in your life. Welcome. Welcome to Hyde Wesleyan Church. Uh, growing up, you, if you know my birth year, You know that I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And so as a kid of the 80s and 90s, there was one specific basketball superstar that every kid who grew up in the 80s and 90s wanted to be like. And it wasn't Muggsy Bogues. It was this guy, Michael Jordan. You remember wanting to be like Mike? You remember the commercials and the newspaper articles and the, uh, the, the advertisements on the front of uh, boxes of cereal that you would look at as a kid that taught you that you wanted to, no matter what, be like Mike? Do you, do you remember wanting to be like Michael Jordan? How many of you can dunk like Michael Jordan? Uh, I, I stumbled on, or I found, I, I dove deep into the catacombs that are the YouTubes. And uh, if you excuse the pixels, here's a commercial that we grew up with in 1992 telling us that we wanted to be like Mike. Watch this. about you, but that commercial transports me to a much less stressful life as a kid. Uh, there's something that happens as I watch that commercial and I'm transported in my own mind back to a carefree life of uh, growing up and literally wanting to be like Mike. And I love how Gatorade uh, promoted themselves uh, as telling me that if I drank Gatorade, I would be like 
Mike. Uh, I only played one year of JV basketball before I realized that no amount of Gatorade would uh, allow me to be like Mike. I, I played long enough to get a participation trophy uh, in basketball and put it on a shelf, and I was like, that's it. I'm good. Like, take off my high tops. I didn't even, I, I didn't even buy the, the, the Air Jordans. Like, I, we, we bought the cheap, fake, knockoff uh, Reebok pumps. That they weren't even Reeboks. They were some other brand that had a little pump on the front that literally did nothing to make me feel like I uh, was an actual basketball player. But do you remember uh, wanting to be like someone growing up? And Do you remember uh, attempting to? And do you remember realizing, I don't know when it was for you, that you weren't like the someone you thought you were going to be like? For Sean Tischler, it's like a hundred different wrestlers. For me, uh, it was wanting to be like Michael Jordan. And it's amazing how uh, commercialization in our culture uh, teaches us this idea that we want to strive to be like someone else. And all we need to do, it would have been nice, yeah? It would have been nice if all I had to do was drink a certain flavor of Gatorade in order to be like Michael Jordan, but I realized that I had to lower the bar, literally the rim, in order to even consider being like Mike in my life. I think in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, we sometimes get into a similar fashion, a similar circumstance where we understand uh, maybe, maybe you've grown up like me, you've grown up in the church and you've heard the reminders that we are to be like Jesus, we're to be like Christ in our lives. And sometimes uh, it doesn't take much in, in, in our life because of how quickly life comes at us and how uh, tumultual, uh, whatever that word is, uh, uh, the ups and downs uh, of life come at us for us to realize that there are, there are seasons in our life, there are times when we haven't looked like Christ very much. Sometimes it's other people reminding us that in a certain area of our life that we don't look very much like Jesus. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit that points out and convicts our hearts of the ways in which we don't measure up. We use that term. And sometimes I think we get caught up in a desire to be so much like Jesus that when we don't get it right, we take off our basketball shoes. We put them in the closet. We take off our jersey if we're wearing the, the Jesus jersey. And, and, and we hope that someone else can be a better example of Jesus than us. And sometimes, I think we get caught up in the, the reality of putting on our Jesus jersey when we want to. When it's appropriate on a Sunday morning to come into a place of worship with other people wearing Jesus jerseys. And then we go back to the way things are, take the jersey off, hide it. Maybe we're not as proud like we are on a Sunday morning to wear Team Jesus jerseys than we are when it's more difficult at school or at work. For the next two weeks, I want to join together in a sort of reorienting ourselves around the truth of what it means to be not like Michael Jordan, but to be like Christ and to be reminded and to be encouraged maybe even to admit that sometimes we've, we've in our own brains, because of outside influence or because just the way we're wired as human beings, we, we've invented for ourselves an impossibility, something that we, we strive to do on our own when in actuality Jesus gives us a much clearer picture 
The reason for the focus on like Christ comes from 1 John chapter 2 this morning. I want you to look there first with me. In God's Word, I invite you to follow along in the Bible app if you have that. We have an outline for you that way. You can look up Hyde Wesleyan Church and follow along with our event outline. But it's on the screen for you as well this morning. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to bounce around in Scripture a lot, but these six verses uh, will kind of launch us into this idea of being like Christ. John writes this, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we are living in him. Verse 6 is key for us. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Verse 6, again. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. It sounds simple enough, right? It sounds like a great ending to a a, a Christian Gatorade commercial. Be like Christ. Live as Jesus did. Follow Christ. Live as he did. And it sounds on the surface pretty simple. And isn't it amazing? How here we are in the year 2020, agreeing together that yes, this is the common denominator of what it means to follow after Christ. And yet, almost as quickly as we say, we should live as Christ. We almost automatically, if you've grown up as I have in the church, you begin to define exactly what centuries of church history have added to that phrase of living as Christ. Literally, the church has divided itself over centuries of church history uh, into exactly what uh, a certain church's list uh, agrees upon being what it means to follow after Christ. And I, I think we have to get to a point, maybe we have to ask ourselves the question, have we, in some fashion, overcomplicated? Have we made it harder than it is for someone to follow after Christ? Have we invented for ourselves extra things? And I love how we go back in Scripture and we read the New Testament and we see how Jesus came on the scene to set a new standard. And I love the realization if you study Scripture and you look at the history of what Jesus entered into, it looks very similar in some context to what is going on today. Especially within the religious world. I want you to hear Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11 starting with verse 28. Jesus says this, as he comes on the scene to bring a new way to those who were fearing God, Jesus says this, verse 28, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. (sighs) Just breathe for a second. Doesn't that sound good? Anybody need some rest? (sighs) Come to me, all of you who are weary, And carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. 
Let me teach you. Because I am humble, Jesus says, and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, Jesus says. And then verse 30, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The example Jesus is using, another agricultural reminder of the, uh, the yoke to join two oxen together to do uh, work. Jesus is saying, take that yoke upon you. My yoke is uh, easy. It's, it's lighter than the normal. Jesus comes on the scene in a religious culture that had invented literally hundreds of extra laws to follow. Interpretations of, uh, of Scripture of the Old Testament law. The, uh, the Pharisees were professionals at creating uh, extra buffers to make sure that no one even uh, got close to following, falling away from uh, the law. Jesus came on the scene in the midst of this religious culture that said there are so many more things you're not supposed to do than are to do. And Jesus said, let me show you a better way. Follow me. Love God as I love God. Seek first the kingdom of God. The scripture we're going to focus on in a moment. Jesus came on the scene to these religious elitists and said these kinds of words. He, he kind of set the standard. He kind of removed the, the status quo. The normal uh, way of doing things was simply to uh, create for oneself an impossible way to uh, reach God. A works-based re- relationship with God. Uh, of thinking that God would be pleased if I did certain things or if I didn't do certain things. That was the norm that Jesus came into. That was the, 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 the way the religious lived their lives in thinking that God would be pleased if they did certain things or didn't do certain things. And Jesus came on the scene and said, follow me. Let me show you what a real relationship with God looks like. It's really nothing new in the year 2020 for us to find ourselves amidst a religious culture that we... We try because we're human beings. We try to create for ourselves extra bullet points of what it means to follow Christ and extra judgments upon those who are doing or not doing when in reality, my way, my thought, your thought, our thought collectively of what it means to surrender fully to God is... Our way, our thought, my attempt, my definition. And Jesus set the standard very early in his ministry of what it truly looks like to follow God. For our sake this morning, let's go back to the least common denominator definition of what it means to love God with our whole self, to be a follower of Christ. I want to look this morning, I want to look this morning at the the private life of Jesus, what it means to be like Christ privately, and then next week let's look at Jesus' public ministry, his public life. So this morning, like Christ privately. Uh, A pastor that I love reading and following on uh, social media and reading books by and listening to sermons from, his name is Craig Groeschel, he pastors the Life Church and uh, they're the ones that were behind the, the Version Bible app, and they give a lot of their resources back to the church, the Big C Church. They're such a giving church. And he wrote this a couple years ago on, on Facebook. He said, It's often the small things that no one sees that bring the big results that everyone wants. 
Listen again. It's often the small things that no one sees that bring the big results that everyone wants. I love that quote, especially in reference to how important our private lives are. Uh, This idea that what we are, what is done in private will have an absolute effect on what is done in public. One of the biggest arguments that we hear from agnostics or atheists, those who have uh, been de-churched, those who refuse to enter into the, uh, the, the confines of a church building for worship, uh, one of their biggest complaints is, is that churches are full of... Yeah. I think we need to own it. I, I, I think we need to own it. I think we need to admit, yep, you're right, we are. Just like Walmart's full of hypocrites, Right? Just like every, every place we are in our human condition, we are bent to this reality of proclaiming one thing in, in public, of saying, yeah, this is something that I, 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 I'm on team Jesus when it's convenient, maybe. I'm on team Jesus when, I, when, when the team is playing together and sometimes we take the jersey off, we put away the shoes when things get tough, when we forget our priority. I don't know, I, I've, I've shared with you guys a little bit of, of growing up in a Christian family, and I don't know if you grew up like I did, but I, I think the invention of tinted windows in a vehicle was like an answer to prayer for our family. <laughs> Somebody's got some nervous laughter, you're going to... You hear what I'm talking about. I don't know. I don't know if you had the same experience where you had these uh, uh, family discussions on the way to something public. You had these family discussions. We were calling them family discussions because that sounded a lot better than a family fight, right? Where we're having some pretty tough discussions and then we would pull into someone else's driveway where we were supposed to uh, get out of the car and go into their home. And we had these moments where the front seat said something to the back seat that went a lot like this. You better clean up your act before we get out of this car. Did somebody have that conversation before you entered into this building this morning? I'm looking for someone to nudge somebody. We do it, right? We, we have this uh, behind-closed-doors, uh, segmented lifestyle sometimes, and we think the things that we are uh, living out in private don't have an effect on our public. And I want to tell you this morning, the good news is that Jesus teaches us a way to live our private lives that orient ourselves in such a way where there's not going to be a difference. We have to be in so much love with God through Jesus Christ in our private lives that it can't help but leak into our public lives, if I can say it that way. If we're trying in vain, because I think that's the only way to try in vain to live up to someone else's standard by simply putting on a Christian jersey on a Sunday morning and thinking that that's what it means to follow after Christ, we are wholly misled. God doesn't want to be God of our public life only. Amen? So let's look at Jesus. The life of Jesus teaches us to get away and to get alone with God. We have a great biblical text to to look at in Luke chapter 5 about Jesus' ministry. Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 15, says this, Despite Jesus' instructions not to tell uh, about the ministry he was doing, the report of his power spread even faster. And vast crowds, Scripture says, came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. 
Verse 16, this is what's so confusing. Because I think if we look at verse 15, despite Jesus' instructions, report of his power spread even faster. Vast crowds came to hear him preach, be healed of their diseases, and Jesus built bigger buildings and spent more time with more people. No, verse 16 says, Jesus often, say often, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. More people knocking on his door, more people wanting his time, more people wanting his touch, more people wanting to spend time with Jesus. Verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. I translated this way for Clearfield this morning in first service. Jesus often bailed and went to his deer stand. You're laughing because it makes more sense. Jesus often unplugged and went and spent time with the Father. Jesus... Jesus knowing of his limited season of ministry on earth. Jesus knowing what had to be accomplished before he would ascend to the Father's right hand. Jesus growing in popularity, larger crowds gathering around. Let me plug it again. Please, please watch The Chosen. Download the app on your phone. I'm going to tell it again. Download the app on your phone, The Chosen. Just search for it. Stop listening to me. No, don't do that. Download the app, The Chosen. Watch those episodes. See this come to life in unique ways. Jesus growing in popularity, larger crowds gathering around him, seeking after him, desiring to be in relationship, desire to hear from him, would often get away by himself and pray. How in the world could we live like Jesus in this way? How in the world? (laughs) I don't know if you guys use Facebook. Yes, I do. You use Facebook, most of you. If you don't, don't start. One of the craziest parts of social media are, are, are memes. I don't even know what that means. M-E-M-E is a meme. I don't even know what that word actually means. Uh, but we, we have these memes, these crazy little pictures with words on them, and they mean something to us. And we pass them around, and we text them to each other, and we share them on our walls. And one of the funniest memes out there are moms trying to get a free moment, right? New moms, moms of toddlers. And uh, those mom memes often involve them hiding behind a bathroom door while a toddler's beating on the door. And the mom says something like, can I just have a moment to myself? In our culture, in our busyness, in our overwhelmed natural state of living, it is seemingly impossible for us to wrap our minds around this idea of checking out and checking in to spending more time with the Heavenly Father. How can we get away and get alone as Jesus did? The first way I want to encourage you is just to do it. I'm stealing from Nike. Just do it. How can I get away and get alone with God? Just do it. We're talking about priority here. It's amazing how much time we can find to do the things we want to do. I, I think it would absolutely blow our minds. We could never do it because I would be embarrassed to do it. I, it would be absolutely mind-blowing. All of us with smartphones. Take your smartphone and show me that you have a smartphone. Don't, you're, you're not going to do it. You're like, I'm not showing you I have a smartphone. 
We all got phones, right? There's an app on your phone, whether you know it or not, that shows you how much time you've spent in certain apps. What if on a Sunday morning, we had the technology to put up on the screen how much time you've spent in certain apps today? Somebody say, whoa. Or don't say, whoa. Somebody say, whoa. I think it would be harmful, (laughs) embarrassing if we would admit to each other how much time we spend doing the things we want to do on what level we are on wordscapes, on what level we are on Mario Kart versus how much time we spent in God's word this morning. How can I get away and get along? I have to set it as a priority. We say things like, I just don't have time to spend time alone with God, but I've got time for a lot of other things that I want to do. Remember, we discussed it a lot here at Hyde Wesleyan Church, how fast, how busy, how overwhelming our our culture has made our lifestyles and how awkward it feels to even schedule time in the day to spend time with God. Can I just tell you, you have to. If God's going to be priority, you've got to spend time with him. If God's going to be the center of everything you do and say, if, if you desire to be in a relationship, you have to spend time with the one with whom you're in relationship. We know this. We know this in the relationships that we have. I, 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 just this week, I had a couple minutes driving from Lowe's back home. And uh, from, from, from driving from Lowe's to home is, is, I don't know, six minutes. And I had that six minutes of having a conversation in my head, actually from the, the parking lot of Lowe's down to the, the bypass. I had this conversation in my head of, I've got these six minutes, I could call my buddy who now lives out in Oklahoma, who I haven't called. We've texted, we, we, we messaged each other, but I haven't heard his voice, I haven't talked, he just had a new daughter, and he was the best man in my wedding. And I had this conversation in my own head that said, don't call him right now. It's not enough time to talk. It's just, it's not enough, it's not enough time. And, and finally, I just forced myself to call him. And I left him a voicemail. And the interaction we had via a, a text message afterwards has been so renewing in my heart of how important it was for me to take that moment to renew that relationship again. Likewise, when I prioritize my time with God, when I just make it a part of my schedule, Can I tell you, God becomes so much more evident in my life when he is at the priority, at the beginning, at the start for me. If I want to live like Jesus, I must spend time alone with him. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says this, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus himself got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Jesus got up often and spent time in isolation. I, I don't know. This verse 35 of Mark chapter 1 gives us that Jesus spent time before daybreak in this instance with God. Uh, my wife will be the first to tell you that I'm not a very good morning person. I, I, I have to fake it sometimes. I have to, uh, because of my schedule and time and meetings and that kind of a thing, uh, sometimes I have to act like I'm a morning person, but I really don't like mornings. The worst sound in my life is the sound of my alarm. Can you relate? I don't like it. 
But for me, as your pastor, let me just tell you, my, my example, I have to, I have to make it a discipline for myself to spend my morning with the Lord. I have to. I, I love the opportunity that I get. I love uh, the fact that I, I, I confessed it in first service. I loved, uh, because I know that I'm working on this message, I love that I was able to, before anybody else got here, spend some uh, time right here in the sanctuary, in the quiet, before anybody else got here with the Lord, after I had my scriptural time at home, after I, I got to add some, some minutes to my time alone with the Lord this morning. Can I just encourage you You've heard it a hundred times if you've been a part of the church. Make time. Make time. Make time to spend with the Lord. He wants to talk to you. He wants to hear from you. He wants to lead you. Make, make time. Many of us can attest to the sense of readiness that comes with a, a morning routine and that involves reading God's Word and spending time in prayer, it's a must. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, of pagans, in other translations. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Verse 33, Matthew 6. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. For us to seek the kingdom first, for us to seek after the things of God first, means that we need to make it a priority. We can't say, we can't go through this life saying, I'm going to make God a priority and never do it. We can't say, I'm going to think kingdom-minded and not pursue the things of the kingdom. Jesus' reminder is that we look a lot like pagans when we uh, uh, deprioritize him and begin to uh, worry about the to-do list of the day, when we begin to worry about all the things that we have to take stock in and do for our day, when we don't prioritize kingdom emphasis. How do I get away and get along? Just do it. How else? Eliminate distractions. I think the fact that Jesus withdrew himself from the crowds of people, the, the fact that Jesus took time away from even his friends, those closest to him, is because Jesus understood in his private life the need to remove distractions. You know what distracts you. I know what distracts me. You know uh, those distractions in your life that draw your attention away from your time with God. We must, as a people of God, we must be intentional to remove distractions so that we can focus on what is important. I don't know what it is for you, but if the morning is the quietest time, when everyone else is still asleep, can I dare you? Make the effort. If it's the most distraction-free time in your household, embrace it. I, I've told you before uh, that when I was in college, uh, this is some of the most distraction-prone uh, times of my life. There were times when I knew I just had to check out of the busyness of dorm life and apartment life. And I found solace and quiet in an airport parking lot of all places in the middle of Marion, Indiana with corn all around us. And I would sit in my car and that's where I would have my quiet time with the Lord. Sometimes 
in the middle of the night. Again, my own personal habits is my morning with the Lord. Some people in my life spend hours of their morning with the Lord. I'm not up there yet. But I have to prioritize my time with the Lord at the start of my day. And can I encourage you? It needs to be distraction-free. It needs to be a time where you can plug into your relationship with the Lord, hear from Him, speak to Him, know that you are in relationship, communication with the God who made you. Let me remind you, in the Scriptures, Jesus makes time for God. Jesus is overwhelmed by crowds and people coming around Him, wanting more of Him. And Jesus took time to pull Himself away and be invested in by His Heavenly Father. You may or may not be aware that on Wednesday this week, historically, the church, the big C church, the church of Jesus Christ, begins a season that we call Lent. Lent comes from a Latin word that literally means 40 or 40th. And Lent is a season of time that leads up through Easter Sunday, the resurrection day that we celebrate together, Jesus overcoming sin and death, being raised from the dead, the best, most exciting reality we have as Christians. And so in this season of 40 days previous to uh, Easter Sunday on the church calendar, we uh, have historically focused our attention on, uh, on, on being reminded in this season of 40 of the ways in which we are distracted and seeking to often remove something from our life, remove something that may be causing us to be distracted from our relationship with God and saying, Lord, for this season, I'm going to remove this thing this habit, and I'm going to seek after you. In many denominations and expressions of the church, an emphasis is placed on private spiritual reflection and renewal as we remove things. As Wesleyans today, as evangelical Protestants, we don't hand down a, a, a Lenten directive. We don't uh, declare, hey, everyone who's a member, everyone who attends Hyde Wesleyan Church, remove this thing from your life. We don't have a fasting regulation. We don't uh, encourage specifics. But as your pastor, can I encourage you that if the Lord is laying something on your heart today, some uh, distraction, something that you're prone to be distracted uh, in your relationship with God, something that has gotten in the way, something that has uh, become a priority for you, that you know if that was gone, you would have time. You would free up some time to say, Lord, speak to me. Can I encourage you to consider removing that? Spending extra time reflecting and pursuing a, a holy life. Maybe there's something in your life that has unwarranted priority that you need to fast from for the next 40 days. It needs to be gone. You need to get rid of it. Consider surrendering that to the Lord. Fasting is not, let me say it this way, it's not simply giving something up. Rather, the spiritual discipline of fasting is intended to help renew our focus on God as we withhold something from ourselves, of asking God to fill that void left by the thing. 
that overwhelms us. As we approach the season of Lent, starting this Wednesday, I encourage you, even if you've already joined in our 40 days of prayer and fasting as a part of our mission faith promise pursuit and asking the Lord how he is going to use the Hyde Wesleyan Church in this new year to be invested financially through faith promise and the work he is doing here locally and abroad. Join with brothers and sisters across the globe in this season. Consider removing something, whatever it is, and filling that void with more of God. Jesus himself experienced a 40-day fast. We know in Scripture not a lot of details. We know that Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, that he was tempted by the enemy, by Satan himself. And that Jesus spent that time in uh, isolation, in the wilderness, uh, experiencing all that that 40 days of fasting from food would have been for him in his life. And we don't have a lot of details. A lot of people have speculated and asked questions. So I want to uh, end our time together with a five-minute video that reminds us of Jesus' 40-day fast. The video consists of uh, 40 drawings that give some fill-in-the-blank question marks answered maybe for what Jesus may have experienced in that 40 days. Allow just this, this time to be reflective for you in your own heart and allow God to speak through Jesus in the desert. Eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are And how great your affections are for me Oh, how he loves us Oh, oh how he loves us How he loves us
with me, would you? Holy Spirit, would you do a work? Continue to, do, continue to do the work. We pray that you've already begun in each of us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would point out in our hearts that your voice would be loud. Louder than our stomach growls, louder than our to-do list for this afternoon louder than the busyness of the moment as we break in just a moment. Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts and you would call us to yourself. And God, I pray that if you are pointing out an area in any life, any heart, the men and women hearing from your Spirit would not drown out that voice, but would hear from you. And Lord, I pray that you would be the strength 
the strength in each of our lives to surrender to you what you're asking of us. And I pray, Lord, that if people respond to a desire for more of you by surrendering something in their private life, that you would fill that void. That your grace, your mercy, your love, your voice of approval would be loud and clear. That you would continue to call us your sons and daughters. Thank you, Jesus, for the example you gave to each of us to get away and to be alone with God. Would you give us the ability, the permission, the opportunity to do so? I pray all this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the peace of our Lord.